0: Welcome to Animals to the Max. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. This show is about animals and the people who dedicate their lives to them. And welcome, everybody, back to another episode of the Animals to the Max podcast. I'm your host, Corbin Maxey. What's up? Thank you so much for taking the time to hang out with me today. You're in for a real treat. I just want to just cut to the chase. I have to say out of the 200 plus podcast episodes, I've had the pleasure of recording. I'd say this has to rank as one of my top favorite interviews ever. I learned so much today during our podcast conversation I had with naturalists Justine and Kyla from the Puget Sound Express. Today, we are going to be talking about killer whales. And I recently actually just visited the Seattle area. The animals and I had an animal show in Kirkland at the village at Totem Lake, which was awesome to see everyone there. By the way, if you did come, thank you so much for coming to that show. We love you, Washington. But we had a free day. And on the free day, I did a little Googling and was like, you know, I want to go whale watching. I would love to see wild killer whales. And off Google, I found an amazing resource, the Puget Sound Express. They had excellent reviews and they depart just 15 minutes north of Seattle in Edmonds, Washington. And they provided a half day trip. And I was with my mom, I was with my wife, and we thought, let's just try this out to see wild killer whales I'll tell you what. The experience was amazing. I was blown away by just everything. The boat was great. The encounters were great. We actually saw 26 wild killer whales, which was amazing. We found out later that that was actually a pretty rare sighting, a pretty special sighting to see that many killer whales kind of all congregated together. But I was blown away by the naturalist on board by Justine and Kyla. And I just kind of casually said in conversation, I said, Hey, Would you both like to come on the podcast? And they agreed to, and I am so happy they did because they both are just a wealth of knowledge about killer whales. You know, I'm not a killer whale expert. I've, you know, want to say I know some basic things about killer whales, but after speaking with them, I'll tell you what, I, I, I learned so much. For instance, do you know that there are two different types of killer whales living in the Salish Sea? complete different types of killer whales that eat complete different things. You'll also learn that the two different types of killer whales in the area do not interact. They have different behavior. I just I really was fascinated by this, how they fill complete different niches in the ecosystem. I also asked Kyla and Justine how they got their dream jobs working on a whale watching boat. I mean, this is their this is their day-to-day job. They get to go out, sail the Salish Sea, and go find killer whales. They also get to find other amazing animals and Including humpback whales. There's a humpback whale they talk about called Two Spot, which I actually saw Two Spot on the tour as well. They get to see harbor porpoises, sea lions, seals, other types of whales, like minky whales. I just was so fascinated. We also talk about the whale watching industry in general. We talk about, you know, are the whales used to it? Is it okay for the whales? There is some controversy which I recently learned about whale watching, so we'll talk about that. We also talk about whales in marine parks i know it is kind of a controversial issue and it's it's fascinating you need to hear our thoughts on this and i was just fascinated to hear their thoughts on this because they work and view wild killer whales what are your thoughts so so much value so much fun information in this now i'll tell you what if you are on the fence about joining our patreon page which i encourage you to join our patreon page all you have to do is head on over to patreon.com slash animals to the max. I'll put a link in the show notes. If you're on the fence, jump off the fence and join the Patreon page. We have an excellent conversation. I think I talked for like, I don't know, another 30 minutes asking them all the questions I wanted to, including what were their favorite experiences whale watching? Is it hard when the whales hunt? How do you handle and manage guest expectations? i blown away. I just, yeah, like I said, I loved this after show. So if you're on the fence, join the Patreon page. It's only $10 a month and you get exclusive access to not only this interview, but the after shows of so many other podcast interviews. Okay, with that said, I've talked enough. Let's talk about Killer Whales. Justine and Kyla, welcome to the show.
1: Hello. Thank you.
0: Thank you, by the way, for agreeing to do the podcast. Yeah, I was so excited. And I just met you a few days ago whale watching for my first time. And I was honestly blown away, obviously, by the whales. But with just both of your knowledge, like I just was just blown away and was like, I have to get you both on the show. Well, thank you. Yeah. So tell me a little bit like how you got into this line of work, because it sounds like a dream job being able to go out and sail the Salish Sea every day. That's kind of a mouthful and go and find killer whales and other cetaceans and sea lions. I mean, just like how did you both get into the line of work? And let's start with you, Justine.
2: Oh, well, uh, I've always been really passionate about the local native wildlife. I was born and raised in Washington State. And I think killer whales have always been my favorite animal ever since I could remember. So um, I wanted to learn everything I could about them ever since I was really young. My family has a summer home on San Juan Island. So growing up, I spent all my summers there watching whales from shore. So I got to interact with a lot of great whale researchers and um, other people who are really passionate about it. And they, they pointed me in the direction of a naturalist training program that I, that I went through when I was 16, um, still in high school and doing the Running Star program in college. In college, I studied environmental science with a focus on the marine habitat. And um, basically right out of college, I applied for a job on a whale watching boat And I got it pretty quickly. And that's just what I've been doing ever since. I've been doing this for about 12 years now.
0: Oh, my goodness. That's amazing. And Kyla, how did you get into the line of work? I was blown away, by the way, by your first profession. I was like, you're way too young to have done this. But go ahead.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I I blame it on the braid. When I have my hair in a ponytail, no one calls me young. I don't know what it is. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, My my story is, I think, probably a little bit more long. I grew up in Utah, um, so I wasn't around the ocean, I wasn't around these animals. Um, But my my parents, when I was in elementary school, they both worked at Intel, and so they traveled a lot. And so you know, before I was five, I went to California, I went to the Monterey Bay Aquarium. I have a picture with elephant seals. Um, We went to Hawaii, and so I just had a lot of exposure, I think, to these animals when I was really young. And so my first love was Keiko from Free Willy. Oh, and yeah. you know, I, I was online, you know, watching his wild updates every day and I was heartbroken when he died. I know Justine was too. Um, and so I think that just left an impact on me. And so ever since I was little, you know, I was three years old correcting people what a sea turtle versus a tortoise was. Um, and so when I was in high school, I volunteered at the local aquarium and I went to two different high schools because my high school didn't offer marine biology. So I went to the second high school so I could take marine biology. Um, so when it was time to go to college, it was a pretty natural choice to go to the University of Washington and I uh, did my major in aquatic and fishery sciences and a minor in marine biology. And I got into the field of naturalizing because for a uh, three months, I lived on San Juan Island um, in Friday Harbor doing research on skates um, out of the research lab up there. And some of my classmates, uh, one of them, he did kayak tours for San Juan safaris on Friday Harbor. And he was telling me about these experiences. And I was just like, you know what? This would be a perfect way for me to be more involved in the marine mammal side of things and their conservation without having to do eight years of volunteer work to get a PhD in the field. Um, So I had my professor, he knew a lot of the owners up there and got me in contact and I was training to be a naturalist out of one of their companies, um, the COVID pandemic hit. And so with all that tourism closed, they didn't have any jobs. And so that's when I became a high school teacher Um, teaching environmental science and biology. Um, But as soon as all the restrictions ended, you know, I just, I had to get back out on the water. And so that's when I got the job with Justine as a naturalist.
0: Wow. Wow. I, yeah, I'm just looking at that. And I'm sure, do people tell you both like every day, like, oh my goodness, you both must have dream jobs? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Is it? Are you both, are you jaded at all? Like when you do this, is it like, like for me, I live in Idaho. We have so many deer here. So when I see another deer, I'm like, oh, it's cool. It's a deer. But I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, you know, I'm not going to stop. Is that how you feel with the wildlife on the tours? Or is that not how it is? No, <laughs> definitely not. I mean, yeah. Killer whales are way more exciting than deer. Totally get that. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I mean, even with the harbor seals, I think we're just way too uh, passionate and nerdy about the wildlife to ever get sick of it.
0: Yeah, that's a really, really good point. And for people listening right now, because like, I, I mean, I don't know if you saw this, but I just posted a video about my whale watching experience and posted it on TikTok and, you know, and people and, you know, on YouTube shorts and Instagram reels and people are like, oh, my gosh, this is such a dream of mine. And I would love to do this, but I can't and. I feel like some people might not realize that this is something you actually can do and it's fairly easy to do. Can we go into that really quick?
2: Yeah. It's a a pretty pretty accessible... Um, A lot of people tend to think that to be able to go whale watching, they have to go somewhere really far away. Like they have to go from Florida to Alaska or to Hawaii or somewhere like that. But anywhere that there is salt water. The ocean or the sea nearest you, there are probably cetaceans living there. And there's probably a reputable tour company that will take you out to show you and like safely show you um, the marine mammals in your area. Uh, Here in Washington state, we've got great whale watching pretty much everywhere in Puget Sound and out on our outer coast as well. And it's, it's, it's fairly accessible.
0: Yeah. That's, that's, that's what blew my mind. Cause I always dreamed of going to the, to the San Juan islands. But when my wife and I looked into it, it, I mean, the best time they said to see the whales, it was, it was in the summertime when we're the busiest. And I just was like, oh my goodness, like we're gonna have to take a ferry all the way to the San Juans. And it was like this huge production. And then when I was doing my local show with the animals in Kirkland, Washington, I was like, we should look up on our day off whale watching. And it was only, what, 15 minutes north of Seattle and Edmonds, we could catch a ferry and have this whole half day, well, this half day experience.
1: Yeah, that's yeah. Uh, one of the reasons why the it's going so well for Edmonds is having that location, because a lot of people think they do have to go all the way to the San Juan Islands. Um, And that's just where most of the market is, but we have this, uh, is it the Clipper, the Clipper that's out of downtown Seattle and then we have the Puget Sound Express out of Edmonds and those are the only two well watching um, companies that are close to Seattle, everything else is really out on the peninsula or in the San Juan Islands.
0: Mhm. Well, I'm so happy it's super accessible. It's something you can do if you are listening, please plan a trip. It was and, you know, it was like I said, such an amazing experience. But let's talk about the killer whales in the Puget Sound cuz it just blew my mind cuz it seems like we have two different nationalities hanging out in the Puget Sound. I'm serious. <laughs> like two different types of killer whales and people might not realize that.
2: Yeah, a lot of people do compare the different types of ecotype or the different ecotypes of killer whales to ethnicities. It's very similar. They're all culturally different and genetically different. They look a little different, they behave a little bit differently from each other. And here in Puget Sound, we have two very different groups that are that don't they don't interact or intermix with each other even though their home ranges do overlap with each other. You know, they have their own communities and they just kind of stay within those own communities.
0: Wow. And you said they look different. And and what, what, what are those two types of killer whales? What are they called?
2: There's what's called the resident ecotype, or specifically the southern resident ecotype. There's a lot of different resident populations. And here in the Salish Sea, we're focusing mainly on the southern resident ecotype as compared to the northern residents or the Alaskan residents. And the... Southern residents are the fish eaters. They eat mainly salmon. Chinook salmon makes up around 80 to 90% of their diet, depending on the year. They travel in big social family groups. And despite the name resident, they actually don't stay in one place year-round. Back in the past, that was more the case when there was more salmon around. But they do actually travel quite a lot. Anywhere from Haida Gwaii to Monterey Bay, California is their home range. And then there's the big skiller whale, also known as the transient ecotype. And the transient is kind of a misnomer, too, because as their food source has become more abundant, they've been sticking around a lot more. We can actually see them during any time of year, any season, because they feed mainly on seals. So they travel in smaller family groups, are a little less um, playful at the surface. They don't travel in big pods of, say, 15 plus like the residents do, and they don't eat fish at all. Instead, they prefer marine mammals, mainly harbor seals.
0: Wow. And that's what blew my mind because I was actually asking Kyla, because I thought the transients, I thought you only saw them at a particular time of year because of the name. I'm, so I was like, when's the best time to see them? And she was like, in front of everybody, well, year round. And I was like, oh my gosh, I, I had no idea. And then I didn't realize that the residents actually, you don't see the residents as often or too often. Can you go into that, Kyla?
1: Sure. It's, uh, we used to see the residents here in, like back in the 1970s, they had very strict patterns in where they followed the salmon so there was pretty predictable as they were following the salmon during the summer you know they would always be up on the west side of San Juan Island the J pod specifically during the winter they'd spend a lot of time in South Sound and so they seemed very residential Um, but the salmon population has changed dramatically in the last 50 years since the 70s a lot of the Chinook salmon which is the primary food that they eat has decreased in population size um, for a variety of reasons And there's also just the physical size of each Chinook salmon is smaller due to salmon derbies, where they have uh, cash prizes for whoever catches the biggest salmon. It's a cultural thing in the fishing community that happens for a lot of different species, but it does take out the big producers and the big genetics out of that population. So they have to work harder for each salmon that they catch since the salmon are now smaller. Um, So that just has changed um as time got, has gone on it's changed a little bit about their behavior and where they're going so they do still come into puget sound in fact we have some puget sound around san juan islands right now as we're speaking wow. um it's just that it's a little bit less predictable um they because the fish aren't there where they used to be and we're not allowed to view them on well-washing vessels and so even if they were all around puget sound which they're not Um, We're not allowed to view them because they're critically endangered. And so there's a lot more regulation around watching them.
0: Why? I am so confused. Why? I am like, I would (laughs) like, why? I'm just, why would they put a restriction on watching the resident or the Southern resident whales?
1: You are opening a whole can of worms.
0: (laughs) Oh my gosh. Let's open them. Uh, It's it's me who asked. They could get mad at me. (laughs) I'm just curious. (laughs) Like, this is so new to me.
1: I'll go ahead and start and Justine, if you want to jump in or add anything, feel free. So uh, the Resident Killer Well specifically, they rely on echolocation to find their food. So it's these high-pitched clicks um, that they send out from their bottom jaw. That sound echoes off of that fish or the rock or whatever. Their melon concentrates that sound and it makes the sound sense uh, turn into visual. So they're essentially hearing what they're, what they're, sorry, they're essentially seeing what they're sure. hearing with the echolocation. Um, and it's thought that the motors from boats, such as well watching boats that sound, um, could prevent them from using that echolocation to find the fish. And so it was it's re- pretty recent um, that these regulations have come out. So there was this whole ORCA task force, I believe it was in 2019. Was that correct, Justine, is it 2019, that ORCA task force?
2: That's when it started, yeah. It went on for quite some time, but yeah.
1: So it started in 2019, and it was basically this Orca Task Force is we're seeing this huge drop in these southern resident numbers. How can we protect these animals? And one of the the topics was that well-washing boats interfered with their ability to echolocate and find their food. And so it started off with just increasing how far um, the well-washing boats can go. So it went from 200 yards to 300 yards. And now it's increased from 300 yards to 1,000 yards, except for during the month of July, you can have one whale watch boat watch them in 300 yards. So it's this convoluted regulation um, to essentially just try to keep boats away and um, diminish any kind of uh,
2: human interaction with these whales. It is specifically whale watching boats. Right. Like, these rules don't apply to private boats, which is one of the main controversies is these rules don't apply to everybody. It's just commercial whale watching boats that have a permit to view killer whales.
0: So, so and Joe Blow. Not- sorry, but like, sorry, i kind of <laughs> interrupt. But like, so me, Joe Blow could go out in in my own personal boat and go view them if I wanted to legally.
2: As long as you stay 300 yards to the side of them and 400 yards in front of or behind them, and reduce your speed to seven knots or less.
0: Wow. Okay, go <laughs> ahead, Kyla. Sorry I interrupted you.
1: Oh no, that was good. Um, yeah, the the two issues with that is there's um, not much enforcement um, mm. to be able to regulate this, and so these people, they you know, private boaters or whoever, you know, cargo ships, ferries, doesn't matter, whoever is in a boat realistically, they could infringe on these regulations, and there's not enough enforcement to, to protect these wells otherwise. Um, the other controversial side with that regulation is there's not a lot of hard science to say that taking away these well-watching boats would actually benefit these wells in any way. And it, it is a roundabout um, way to, instead of addressing the real issue, is the lack of food and the pollution that's interacting with the lack of food inside these wells bodies. And and so it's like, it's, it's a easy way to say, Hey, we're protecting these wells instead of focusing a lot of money and effort into habitat restoration for the forage fish that's in so support the salmon or the controversial issue of how do we regulate these fisheries? Cause that's always, you know, there's a lot of stakeholders involved in that.
0: The, yeah, this would be hard. I, I mean, I mean, I just like, so, I mean, have you ever been on, on a tour where you've seen the Southern resident whales and you were like, God, I just wish we could go, but we, you you have to like turn the opposite direction. Does it happen often?
1: Justine, you want to go for
0: that
2: one? Yeah. And, um, these regulations first went into effect last year and it became apparent really quickly that, uh, there was really no way for anyone to sort of enforce these rules, especially around the private voters. Um, in fact, there is a really great um, sort of tidbit published by Orca Behavior Institute. It's part of a bigger study that they're doing right now that showed that when whale professional um, whale watching boats were present with a group of whales, the private boater behavior improved. Um, so that's one of the one of the things that we are trying to kind of push with the policymakers, but. There have been times where we've been, say, since we're based in Edmonds, to get out to the Strait of Juan de Fuca to work with the other whale watching boats, we have to go up a waterway called Admiralty Inlet. This is the main shipping channel of Puget Sound, so there's lots of shipping traffic up and down Admiralty Inlet. It's the main shipping lanes. It's the quickest, easiest way for us to get out to the bigger water where we help other whale watching boats search for whales. And... To get out that often especially coming up very soon october through january that is our big chum salmon run our winter chum salmon run into puget sound these chum salmon are running down to the duwamish river in seattle and often following behind the chum salmon run are the southern resident killer whales so there have been instances where our boat is heading up Admiralty Inlet, we fi- we suddenly find ourselves in the presence of killer whales so we stop and then once we realize that they are southern residents, we have to, as safely as possible, slowly make our way away from them. And basically tell our passengers, you know, get get your looks. We We can't stay. We have to be actively leaving the scene. But there are whales here, but we can't watch them.
0: Man, I feel like they're just bigger fish to fry. Anyway, that's just <laughs> pun intended. I just, I'm like, what? I just... Okay. Wow. And that's, and that's definitely coming. That is uh, yeah, that's coming up in October. Uh, really quick. You said that you, you know, once you realized they were Southern resident whales, let's talk about the difference, like physical differences between the Southern residents and the transient killer whales. Cause for me, just, uh, just, I'm not a killer whale expert. I would look at a killer whale and say, Oh my goodness, it's a killer whale. I would not know how to tell the difference. And justine I love that has
1: worked recently, uh, with uh, the Southern residents a lot more than I have, since I didn't start doing the well watching until after these regulations were in place. So that's definitely justine. will get a lot more into the details on that one.
0: Take it away, Justine. And I love, by the way, oh, Justine's fuck. cat just like got right in front of the camera. <laughs> it is. It's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs>
2: that's, that's Minta. Minta says, hello.
0: Hi, Minta. <laughs> Welcome to the show.
2: <laughs> and, um, Yeah, the physical differences between the two, it takes a little bit of, it takes some time and some practice to be able to pick them out. But once you get to know the whales, it it becomes pretty easy and you can pretty quickly tell if at the very least that you're, which ecotype of killer whale you're looking at. So with Southern residents, um, they tend to be a little bit smaller in body size. And if you have experience watching both southern residents and big killer whales you can tell pretty quickly oh that one's pretty small so that's probably a resident um, the shape of the dorsal fin is also another one of the first things that we look at generally on residents they tend the dorsal fins tend to be more rounded more curved at the tip and on transients they're a bit pointier more shark-like um, their markings are also a little bit different so on the big or the transient killer whales you have a wider saddle patch that extends forward of basically the the back of the dorsal fin and then on a resident killer whale it's a smaller skinnier saddle patch and it could be open so it could have a black stripe right in the middle which is not something we'd see on a on a big sort of transient killer whale but the biggest difference the first thing we're going to notice even before we get close enough to see any of those markings is the difference in behavior oh. so generally with resident orcas. They're in a big group. That big group is spread out. There's lots of splashing and preaching. There's also lots of long, deep dives because they're diving 600 feet or more sometimes to get to those salmon. Where transient orcas are, I like to describe them as more businesslike. Usually they are <laughs> close together, all traveling in uh, in a group. Um, they can be really spread out, but there's you're going to notice right away there's fewer of them. They're going to be in a small family group of around five to seven individuals, and they're all surfacing together. They're all diving together. Unless they're actively hunting or have just caught something, that's when they get active and social and playful. But that the difference in behavior is the first big clue. Okay,
0: because I was having, I'm sorry, I was expecting this free willy Keiko moment of like my first whale watching of one just jumping up in front of the boat. So would that be, <laughs> <laughs> so would that be a, that would be a southern resident? They're more playful. You're going to see them. What is it? Is it spy hop? Is that what they do or something like that? Or Yeah, yeah
2: spy hopping or breaching is breaching. kind of when the okay when they come out of the water. Yeah.
0: And so so those are more of the more of the southern resident then?
2: Generally can-
1: speaking do it as well um they, we we see it quite a bit on their boats um the spy hop if we're looking at the uh, mother and her all her calves with her okay. um once they say kill a seal and they're about to eat it's very typical to see the matriarch do a spy hop okay um and we're not 100 percent sure why but it could be like she's taking a, a visual scan around the area before they all dig in to eat um and then a lot of the youngsters or the transients after they have a meal um some of them can get very excited and then they'll start breaching.
0: Okay. Okay. And so, yeah. so, so you, okay. Okay. Wow. That's just so interesting. And what blew my mind too, I was talking to Kyla about this and I know Justine, you had mentioned like these are just like two different types of killer whales and they're in the same area, but they never interact. They never breed ever ever.
2: not not. for the last 200,000 years anyway 200,000
0: years no one has been like hey um
2: the
1: estimates that i read most often on this uh they did a study and they took looked at the mitochondrial dna which is passed on um through like the mothers Mm -hmm. and uh the estimate is between 200,000 to 700,000 years in Uh the last Uh, breeding between these animals and so that is one of the reasons it's uh, argument in the scientific community that perhaps they should be considered subspecies and not simply ecotypes Um, as this is a behavior not behavior this is a trend we see in animal species across the world through the onset of time in earth's history this is an example of sympatric speciation where you start with one population and they just develop different niches so different roles in their ecosystem and then become separate. And so the cichlids in Africa, you'll have a lake in Africa, it used to be one population of cichlids and now there's 50 populations of cichlids and they're all eating different things, they're showing different reproductive behaviors and now they're considered separate cichlid species. And so give it another couple hundred thousand years um, and these different uh, ecotypes of killer whales could essentially then just become different species. It's just their reproductive is so much longer. They have such longer lifespans. It does take a longer period of time for them to separate than say a fish.
0: Okay. That just blows my mind. I just <laughs> no, really though. It's, it's, it's so fascinating. And so Another thing that I learned too on, and by the way, I loved how there was so much great information while I was on the uh, the Puget Sound Express. But you were saying that the southern residents will actually chase the transient whales away. Can we go into this? Because I thought that would be opposite because the transients are bigger and they eat mammals like seals. I feel like they see more... Aggressive, I don't know why, and that you know, you get the southern fish eaters, but these fish eaters seem like they are more you know, they're the ones that chase them off.
2: Uh, yeah, that's a lot of people's first impressions with uh transient big's killer whales is that they're they've got to be the more aggressive ones, but that's not really been shown to be the case. Um, especially like in captive situations, there was a group of uh big's killer whales. Um, that was captured right off of Victoria. I think Petter Bay was the actual location, but right off of Victoria, Vancouver. And these whales, even though they had just been captured and one of their members, uh, Chimo, a little white whale, had been taken away from them, they were very gentle with the people in the water. People continually offered them fish over and over and over again. They refused to take it because they didn't recognize fish as food and they were just consistently really gentle with their captors eventually did start eating fish but then shortly after that they escaped their pen so um, lucky for us they escaped because a lot of their descendants are now the same whales that we're watching out in the wild now Wow! Um, but uh, they are generally you know towards anything that's not a prey item transients are um, very sociable very curious animals Um, And they also, the residents have the strength in numbers. Even though they're smaller and don't have as much muscle as a transient, Mm. there are much more of them. So uh, it's probably pretty intimidating, I would guess, to a pod of five big killer whales being chased by a pod of 25 resident killer whales.
0: Sure, sure. And you brought up a point about marine parks. We won't name any in, like... No, yeah, just yeah, we we won't name any in particular, but I'm curious with these marine parks um that they were capturing back in the 70s, were they capturing more resident whales or transient whales?
2: Uh, more residents for sure. More southern residents. The, okay. More okay. southern residents. That's okay. one of the reasons they're still endangered is because an entire generation of their population was taken away from them. As okay. the marine park uh, they were focusing on young animals that were easier and cheaper to, to transport and also easier to train. So all of the young um, that were born around the 50s and 60s were taken away from that population. But oh. transients were also occasionally caught.
0: And from what I've read, though, that transients didn't do very well in captivity because of their mammal eating diet. Was this true?
2: Uh, for the most part, yes. Many of them didn't make it more than a couple years um, because switching to a fish-based diet. Or that's part of it, but also part of it was um, social connecting. Uh, socially connecting with their tank mates uh, was not as successful because there weren't other transients in the tank with them or in the pen with them. Uh, they were mostly in the pen with residents or mm-hmm. North Atlantic killer whales that were captured in like Norway, for example.
0: Which are com- like a completely different ecotype, I'm assuming.
2: Yep.
0: So yep. like a complete different language. Oh yeah. Okay. And Kyla, and I learned so much uh, about you. Can we talk about like the first killer whale captured and how this all started? Cause I did not know this and I thought it was really fascinating. Um, just regarding that, that that story and how killer whales actually came to marine parks.
1: Absolutely. Um, the famous killer whale, its name is Moby Doll, and there's a good book about it. It's called The Killer Whale Who Changed the World. Wow. Um, and that is where I first was introduced to um, Moby Doll in, in reading. Um, but I'm going to actually relate it back to one, to one of uh, your podcasts. I was listening oh. to one of your podcasts about the anthropomorphism of animals and the pros and cons of it. And um, pre-1960s, we essentially thought of killer whales as um, the wolves of the sea. And we know all about how the ancient uh, relationship with wolves have been, right? They're they're bloodthirsty. They're going to kill you, and they hate everything about humans. And if you're in a kayak and you see a killer whale, that means you're going to die. And that was uh, a lot of how they were seen. Um, So, in fact, their their scientific name, or Sinus Orca, does mean a demon from the underworld. Um, So, we didn't put them in good light, and then for a long time, they were killed just because of that. And so, what happened was Vancouver Aquarium, they wanted to make a statue to pretty much showcase this marine top predator, Uh, but they wanted to make it as scientifically accurate as possible. So, they hired an artist and then a couple of um, other people to go out and kill a killer well to then bring back and make that statue of it. But they didn't kill it. They tried to. They harpooned the well. But instead they stuck the killer well um, and essentially walked it, walked it, swam it back to the Vancouver, no
0: worries,
1: (laughs) aquarium area. Um, And this well they named Moby Doll um, because as, as a pun off of essentially moby dick right because it was it was a doll it was a young male killer well um likely from the southern resident pod i believe it was confirmed it was from the southern resident pod
2: his calls he used were from either j-pod or l-pod so
1: and so they kept it in this makeshift pen off of vancouver city and they were able to interact with it they swam with it they couldn't figure out how to feed it. They didn't know the different ecotypes. So at first they did try to feed it fish, um, but Moby doll was very stressed out, so it didn't want fish. And they also were very careful with it. So they would throw fish at this well, hoping that it would eat it. But because it was still a young well and because it was stressed out, it wouldn't. And so they got roadkill for it. They got like well time for it. They brought in all the stops to try to figure out how to feed this well. And they finally figured out that if they hand fed the well, a piece of fish then it started eating and so they started to build this bond with this well and pretty much realized it wasn't this just killer that it was intelligent that it had emotional responses that it had was able to softly interact with these humans um, and that is what pretty much pivoted all of our perception about killer wells. Um, Moby doll didn't last very long the, the it was in the near Vancouver it had a lot of freshwater influence and it's harder for them to swim in fresh water so in a combination with the pollution in the water and the freshwater it, Moby doll essentially got exhausted and and drowned because um, he couldn't keep himself afloat anymore um, but after that everyone it went in the news everyone heard about Moby doll people traveled to see Moby doll and then it started this big effort to capture the killer wells to put them in aquariums because we realized that they weren't killers and we could take care of them that way Um, And so there is a whole lot of controversy about sea aquariums and killer whales and sea aquariums. And there's a lot of controversy about whale watching boats, but ultimately what it's come back to is it is us learning to love these animals and want to care about them and protect them, which is a fantastic shift from trying to kill them all the time.
0: Yeah. I, you know, so I born and raised in Idaho, we, we, we unfortunately don't have whales in our backyard (laughs) and when I was a kid, I remember I went to Florida and my and my grandparents said you could go anywhere. Where do you want to go? Disney World. We could go Universal Studios, we could go to SeaWorld. And I was like, I wanna go to SeaWorld. I want to see whales. I I wanna be around animals. And visiting SeaWorld as a young kid was my first connection with killer whales, with dolphins, with with sea creatures. And I you know, I felt like having those experiences was um, I just, it was more impactful for me personally than watching them on like a documentary. And it, it honestly got me excited about killer whales. That was my first, um, my first, I guess, thought about that. And I, what I liked when I was talking with you on the boat is how you looked at like both sides of the controversy, Kyla, cause it is very controversial. You bring up a, a Marine park and my God, people come out of the woodwork <laughs> and they're either for them. they are, or they're either super against them And I like how you were, you kind of were in the middle and said, you know, but they did have their place getting people inspired. I mean, those weren't your exact words, but would, would you both agree with that? Like, Justine, would you agree with that? Like they did get people excited about these animals. They did change perceptions.
2: Yeah, I would definitely agree. And that's exactly what I said years ago. We had a killer whale trainer ride one of our boats because uh, they wanted to meet the wild family of the killer whale that they were c- taking care of. And that's basically what I told them when they asked before they even told me they were a killer whale trainer. And it was like, yes, I, I do think the captures were pretty brutal. And they were not good for the southern resident killer whales. But overall, I think what we having them you know available to the public to actually view and see and get to know did change our perceptions a lot and did make it a lot a lot better it's made overall it made the world a better place for the killer whales yeah because we're we're not actively hunting them or trying to kill them anymore
0: yeah I think so and I There's so much controversy. I mean, there's just so much with documentaries obviously coming out and stuff like that. Are you ever in an awkward position if a guest asked you about a particular marine park or a particular documentary like Blackfish? Like, what is your response? Because I really wanted to ask, but I thought, oh man, this could just open up a can of worms. And I just don't know if this is probably not the appropriate place to do so. But can we go into that if you are asked about parks or documentaries like Blackfish?
2: Yeah, that's, that's happened to me a lot, (laughs) a lot over the last 12 years. Um, And sometimes it doesn't go very well, I try to remain neutral, um, and try to just present the facts. Um, And that can be really hard, because I do have my own opinion about it. Um, But when a guest asks me, I do my best to remain neutral and present the facts. And uh, sometimes that doesn't go very well, because they want me to either be you know in support of marine parks or condemn them more nine times out of ten they want me to condemn the parks like openly and like basically you know on on the microphone in front of everybody (laughs) start bad-mouthing marine parks and everything they stand for and i just do my best to stay neutral sometimes that doesn't work out very well and sometimes um we have to escort these people off the boat but are you serious uh, yeah (laughs) There was one really specific example. This was before I worked at Puget Sound Express. I worked with a different company. Uh Um, There was a woman on our all-day whale watching trip. And while I was talking about killer whale natural history and facts, we had seen a pod of transient killer whales that day up in the Gulf Islands, up in Canada. And we were on our way back to Friday Harbor. And um, I was going into natural history and facts about killer whales on the microphone, on the loudspeaker, and just generally engaging with the crowd, and uh, this woman just started uh, yelling at me about how I need to talk about um, a specific killer whale in a specific marine park and what we're doing to try to get her home. And I very politely told her, "Well, uh, we can. I I'd be happy to answer a specific question about you know that animal or the population that that animal comes from." but right now i'm talking about the whales that we saw i'm talking about the transient killer whales we saw that i believe we saw the t65a's that day so i was talking specifically about the t65a's Mm -hmm. and she wanted to shift the conversation not only to southern resident killer whales but this particular southern resident killer whale in captivity and badmouth the park the marine park that she's currently being held at so um that was interesting i did my best to talk a little bit about the facts about (laughs) that particular animal and the population that she comes from and the killer whale captures that happened here and why they have been outlawed. Um, But she didn't like that. That wasn't good enough for her. So she got very mad. So the captain had to basically expedite our trip back to Friday Harbor and escort her off the boat because she just wanted to argue and fight with me.
0: Oh man. That's yeah. Kyla has anything like that happened to you? Where you're stuck in a pickle, and you're like, oh my god, how am I going to ask this? You know, people are on their phones, you know. <laughs> what are your thoughts?
1: Uh-huh. I mean, I definitely, I watched the documentary Blackfish, and uh, when I first watched it, definitely got that gut response, I was like, oh my gosh, this is terrible, and... Yeah. But, ultimately, I, I support seaquariums and Zeus. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they... Having them around provides that emotional connection to animals that humans need to want to care about them and to give money to support them and protecting their environment because without that personal connection. People are really good at just toning it out and not caring, especially with all the other distractions in our lives and social media and TV. And so I do believe that they do a lot of important work in conservation and breeding programs keep the genetics healthy Um, and so the part that's kind of always hard for me to talk about is just the killer whales specifically in captivity. And I think that is separate from the whether sea aquariums or zoos are good or bad. I think it's, that's looking at one specific species and if that specific species should be kept in captivity or not. And that is a completely different discussion in, in my, uh, my opinion. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think blackfish, they made some good points and essentially to me just, Solidified, these animals should not be taken out of the wild. But most most of the wells in captivity are now born and raised in captivity, and so that's a, that's once again that's a different argument.
0: Yeah, yeah, I. Yeah, I, I also support zoos and aquariums, and I think they do a lot of great conservation work. I remember teaming up with the AZA, and at the time, they had I think they've sent, spent over $200 million annually protecting wild habitats and wild places, and, you know, I... Yeah, I just, I, I think there there is a place for them to get people excited. Uh, do I think we should be capturing, you know, killer whales in the wild and putting them in pens? No, but I mean, I think, but we've, we've honestly come a really long ways, right? Since the 70s, because that was outlawed in the 70s, right? That's right. Right,
1: 1972 was the Marine Mammal Protection Act, and there was yeah. still some illegal captures that happened for a few years after that. But um, moving these animals to captivity, I mean, it spurred a whole bunch of scientific studies about mm. these animals in captivity which then you know in turn helped help support funding for starting to study them in the wild so these ecotypes we had no idea about these ecotypes we had no idea about the population size any of that until these captures started and we started to do these photo ID studies where we took a census of the population in the late 1970s early 1980s mm-hmm. and so without without these captures and the care about the conservation of these animals That would have likely not happened until perhaps it was too late.
0: Mm -hmm. I also think there's other issues we could focus on because right now the captive orc is, what do we have, 40 to 60? I, I don't think it's that many, right? It's pretty, pretty small in the world. I don't even know if I have that stat right, but it's very, I mean, I think we could focus on other things like bigger stuff. Like you were talking about pollution. You were talking about their food dwindling down from you know like the salmon i feel like there's a lot of other topics that people could get invested in
1: justine do you have an opinion on that oh that that
2: was
0: just me talking
2: (laughs) (laughs) i would agree yeah it was definitely the canadian government's interest in capturing killer whales for display that funded michael biggs research on killer whales and being able to photo identify individuals and populations to give us an accurate count of their population size. And that's actually where we get the name "Big Killer Whale for the transients is after Michael Big. He was the first one to realize, oh, we can recognize each of these whales individually and get an accurate count of their population size. So, um, and that it was actually his contribution to that research that made both the Canadian and US government decide, okay, there's not enough killer whales to continue these captures. So we're gonna stop. We're going to enact the marine mammal protection act and just leave them be in the wild which was ultimately a good thing because um even though the southern resident killer whales certainly are not doing well right now they are critically endangered the transient killer whales have doubled in population since then they're doing very well and that's in uh thanks in part to the marine mammal protection act protecting not only them but their food source the seals and the sea lions corpuses, things like that, the things that they feed on, which I think is a really good example of what could happen for the southern resident killer whales if uh, we got really dedicating to protecting their food source too. Okay. And
0: I found that so fascinating too, because seals were what almost hunted down to extinction, correct? And now let me see if I have my pretty close. Uh, Didn't you say there were 50,000 harbor seals in the area?
2: So in nineteen seventy
1: two they were sea. hunted down to five thousand. And now the most recent estimation, um it was from twenty nineteen, and it's it's they're estimated to be over fifty thousand.
0: Wow. Just in the Puget Sound area?
1: Salish Sea. Oh, in, in in the
0: Salish Sea. And I'm not gonna lie, I love seals. They are absolutely adorable. <laughs> I just oh my god, is it like hard when you see killer whales hunting them? I mean, these seals are just you know, just like I said, adorable. They look like my dog, right by the way, is sleeping right next to me. And she looks like a seal. <laughs> She's a pit bull and she has the eyes, the wide eyes and the big whiskers oh, anyway. Oh. Is it hard?
1: Could I answer this one, Justine, and then have you jump in? Yeah. I Please, just want uh, thing right now, because we had a, quite an experience with this uh, yesterday on our boat.
0: Yesterday, okay.
1: Most of the time when they're hunting, they're, you know, when they're 200 yards plus away, you can't see the seal not unless you have a high zoom camera. And they do all their hunting and eating underwater. So it's not very common that you actually see. It's not like this huge National Geographic episode where all the gory details. A lot of times that's hidden from the passenger. So it's like, oh, poor seal, but no one really goes like, oh, that's so sad for the seal. It's like, oh yeah, killer whale's got food. Yeah. Yesterday we were driving in the fog um, and we, you know, the visibility was bad. And all of a sudden, 200 yards off our starboard side there are two killer whales hunting a seal and the seal saw the boat and made a beeline for the boat and jumped up onto our swim deck <gasps>
0: oh my and gosh
1: killer wells they're they're extremely smart so they like circled the boat once saw the seal was out of sight and just left and so we're sitting here with the seal on our swim deck and the seal is absolutely terrified and so when you oh. see the seal that kills you know, it was a huge divide in the public. I thought it was quite interesting, the people on board. You know, you had part of the people were like, oh, my gosh, poor sill. Yeah, get, get on the swim deck. Come come to safety. Like, be safe. Like, protect the sill. And then the other part of the passengers were like, now stay in the water. Get them, killer whales. <laughs> and so some people, they, like, it was just fascinating to see that separation between those who were cheering on the sill and those who were cheerle- cheering on the killer whales. And it was even hard for me. You know, I see this stuff all the time with them hunting seals, and that's what they need to do to survive, and I want the killer whales to survive. But with that seal on the swim deck looking down into its big old eyes, I'm like, okay, I'm kind of glad you lived.
0: Oh, so, th- okay, so the seal did live.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, the, the killer whales, they took one look at it, and they're like, that's not worth it, and they left.
0: Oh, see, I, I, I would be team seal. This is horrible. I, I would be team <laughs> seal. And side note, Justine, I want to ask you a question, but um, I, so I, I like to run every morning along our canal and the last two times I've ran, a red-tailed hawk has like picked up a garter snake and I see it flying away. And I'm just, it crushes me because I'm a huge reptile and snake person. And I'm just like, oh my God, I just, it crushes me. I'm just like, see this snake. And I'm like, God, I wish I could help you. So Kyla, I think I would be team seal. I do understand. It's like the <laughs> circle of life. I, I totally get it, but it's hard to see. Okay, Justine, sorry for interrupting. I just wanted to tell you my snake story. story.
2: <laughs> um I would definitely have been part of the second group of people on board <gasps> I'm team killer whale really <laughs> oh my people god people are this always is... so shocked but yeah I when I was a little kid I have a fun story to tell that my mom has told me about when I was really little like three or four years old uh, my favorite things to watch on tv were nature documentaries and every I, I love to watch documentaries about like wolves and lions and they would be like chasing a baby gazelle and my mom would be crying about the baby gazelle and i'd be like yeah go lions oh go my go. god and it's still very <laughs> much the same with watching whales <gasps> <the> hunt <laughs> i'm sorry <laughs> no don't
0: be sorry no, it's natural but, like it's completely yeah. natural
2: and i have seen some pretty pretty sad pretty um shocking ends to some animals too like sometimes they, like Kyla saw yesterday, they see the boat, they make a break for it, and they manage to escape that sort of ring that the killer whales have put around it, and they try to come to the boat, and the killer whales get them anyway, and that is just soul-crushing to watch for some people. But for oh. me, it's like, yeah, get it, go, good oh job. Oh my god, that is... It almost like, got away, and you got it. <laughs> tag I to,
1: to Justine there with the killer whales? Um, I mean, obviously, it's always sad to see like a cute animal become food. Um, cause we think of it as cute, but the predators, the predator life is so difficult. I mean, we're talking about 400 killer whales to 50,000 seals, right? And then 400? there's always, wow. right. So with, with wolves, with lions, I mean, mm-hmm. they just have pretty difficult lives trying to um, survive. And with them being at the top, their populations are always pretty small. So logically when it comes to something like that i want to support the predator population
0: yeah and mind you the people who probably wanted the seal to survive were enjoying their turkey sandwich you know what i mean like it's (laughs) like it's so easy we're so far removed you know from our food well we are um almost at 49 minutes of the interview i wanted to ask would you both like to join me for the after show Sure. sure After yeah. show and audience. If you want to join us for the after show, all you have to do is head on over to patreoncom slash animals to the max. I'll put a link in the show notes, but uh, before we head to the after show where I can ask even more questions, this is so fascinating. Do you have any last remarks for listeners? Any words of encouragement? If people are on the fence about going well watching, which I don't know why you would be, but I am anyway. Um, but like any last words you'd like to say to our audience?
1: Um, I mean, me it's it's I'm not here to try to be like oh yes well watching oh yes seaquariums. I'm here to talk about the whales. Mm-hmm. I mean I both Justine and I we love these killer whales. and the amazing part about these photo ID studies is they have allowed us to not just you know go out and see a killer well but we know exactly what killer well we're looking at we know their name we know their family history and it is hard not to fall in love with these animals once you get to know them
2: Yeah, I I would agree. I uh, think there's lots of controversy, especially here in the Salish Sea region in the Pacific Northwest, about whether or not whale watching is good for the whales. And that might be why some people are on the fence. And I just, you know, we're the most strictly regulated whale watching operation in the world the pacific whale watching association has more rules and more regulations and they're mostly put in place by us by the pacific whale watch association we advocated for these rules because through our years of experience we have found this this is the best and safest way to interact with these wild animals and to show them to people and educate people about them so i don't think you need to have any Sort of, you know, trepidations about going out and viewing these animals in the wild because our goal is to make it as safe for the wildlife and for the people as possible, and also make it educational so that others are inspired to help these animals in their natural habitat.
0: Oh yeah, I am so for whale watching on the record. Oh, it was amazing! It was an amazing experience. If you're on the fence, get off the fence and get on a boat. Go to the <laughs> Puget Sound Express, and you're gonna have a great time. So And you're going to learn a lot. Okay, let's head on on over to the after show. I have so much more to ask you. All right, let's do it. You ready? Thanks for listening to the Animals to the Max podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with friends and family. Also, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. It really helps me out. As always, if you have any guest suggestions, if you want to email me personally, head on over to CorbinMaxie.com. And if you haven't already, check out our social channels. You can follow me at CorbinMaxie on on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. We'll talk to you next time.